All right, glad you guys are here with us to continue in this series as we talk today about the King's Mission. If I can sum up, I always appreciate Pastor Eric's pressing to me of saying, sum up your sermon in a sentence. And that's been super, it was hard for me at first, it's been super helpful for me now as I have taken on that, uh, that discipline to really narrow in. But today, what I want you to walk away with, one simple statement, is that Jesus came under the same law to keep what we could not, so we could become what we should not. I'll say it again. Jesus came under the law to keep what we could not, so we could become what we should not. I was sitting in Starbucks on Friday, typing away, um, and the more I thought about this week, the heavier my heart became. It has been a tough, tough week. Um, To the point where I'm going, I'm going to sit here and weep in the middle of Starbucks like a little boy. Uh, but I had I could not continue to look at some certain things because of the emotions that were coming under me uh, over me. But I have had a family member uh, that has not been responding to to me or several of my friends for quite a while, um, and I and others have been wrestling over the situation and longing for a response, um, uh, just an answer, just an acknowledgement that this person is okay, this family member of mine. And in my waiting for a response, he has put in a spirit of distress over me and deep sadness. It's been a tough week. Extremely tough week. Um, I've kept my, noticed myself spending more time on this relationship uh, trying to identify over the last several weeks than he's been than the time focusing on my text. But, but as I sat there wrestling over this relationship, I saw God was using it to prepare me for today. As I was, uh, while it has... What God has been teaching me is that as I wrestle of this relationship, is that that is what He's doing for me. Like He's wrestling over me. As I've longed for someone to be home, um, they've not wanted to be pursued. And God longs for us to be home. But rather we do not reciprocate or see the need to be found. Rather we continue on in our recklessness. He continues to pursue us. God graciously pursues us until He captures our heart. When we are not pursuing God, God, He knows the condition of our heart and when He sent the rescuer Jesus. So even when we're not pursuing God, He knows the condition of our heart. And He knows that we're trying to run away from Him, but He continues to pursue us with Jesus. He did not come to Jezreel, rather He came to save His Father's people. This is what makes the gospel so rich and joyful that your Creator is not concerned with what has happened. He's not concerned about what you have done as He already knows the deepest and darkest parts of your heart. Rather, He wants you to know you are deeply and forever loved, valued, and forgiven by Him. I plead with you, non-believer, today. I plead with you today that your Creator longs for you to be home with Him forever as a son or daughter of God that that has been adopted through the precious blood of Jesus. So I plead with you, believer, to pursue the non-believer. Because when you do, I am sure that the Holy Spirit teaches you more and more about His pursuit of you. And in God's resist and God's His unresistant love for you. How you rejected Him, how you shook your fist at God in dismay 
and anger. But while Jesus was being consumed by the judgment of the law on your behalf, He was pursuing you. I see believers grow most when they're being faithful to preach the Gospel most. Because they're reminded of their deep, deep need for Christ. So please listen intently, covenant member, attender, visitor, non-believer. If you get one thing out of this today is this, that He came under the same law to keep what we could not, so we could become what we should not. So today we're looking at a text that rebukes our need for something else to save us other than the perfect work of of the King's mission. See, in the book of Galatians, Paul is approaching the church of Galatia with this reckless abandon to forsake all things that he thought saved him. And he is coming to this church who were trying to add to the gospel. They're saying, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to keep more of the law to be truly saved, truly redeemed. And he's rebuking this church for prescribing new things to people who are considering and wanting to follow Jesus. Paul is coming after the church of Galatia and you and I with a willingness to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. He's putting his head on the chopping block because he was rebuking the law that had been turned into legalism by the Israelites, God's people. He's calling out hundreds of thousands of years of abuse of the law and the reason for it. So today, I want us to look at four things. Four simple things. Number one, Jesus has come to abolish the law. So when we think about the king's mission, we must think he has come to abolish the law. Secondly, he has and is bringing redemption. He's bringing redemption. Number three, he has and is bringing us adoption. He has and is bringing us adoption. And number four, he has giving, uh, given us the Holy Spirit. He has and is giving us the Holy Spirit. So let's read the text one more time. We'll make you stand, but I will pray and we will get started. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir through God. Dear God, we ask for you to be present with us. More than that, we we pray that we acknowledge your presence, that you are here, or that you are amongst your believers. And Lord, I pray that you will pierce the hearts of those who have abandoned your truth and have added to the gospel to try to maintain their salvation. I pray that you will break their heart and see that they can do nothing to maintain their salvation because you have perfectly done it for them. I pray for those non-believers here, Lord, that they, as they wrestle through what it means to be saved, what it means to know you, I pray, God, that they will see that they bring nothing. They bring nothing but their poor, wretched self. But you bring everything to absorb their wretchedness to make them righteous through the blood through your shed blood on the cross. Well, we thank you that you do not stay dead. We thank you that you are alive. We thank you that you're present here with us now. In Christ's name, amen. So as he's come to abolish the law, 
what is the fullness of time? So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. What is this fullness of time? We saw in Eric's sermon most recently that he talked about how through the Old Testament and through the prophecies, uh, it, compl- it continually pronounced the coming of Christ, our King Jesus. So when we read the fullness of time, we must see that the completion of the great anticipation from the Old Testament and, the new, and, and now how the law has now been fulfilled in Christ, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. So when He lay there in the manger, it started a new time where all things would be restored. And He has been revealed and has come to dwell among us. This news was not meant so cultures around us could celebrate it for one month or add it to their traditions and rituals. This news we're celebrating over 2,000 years ago where Jesus has fulfilled the promise from the beginning of creation to the ends of the earth should do one thing. It should absolutely shatter our lives. That knowing that the fullness of time has come, that Christ has come, it should shatter our lives to the point that anything this world has to offer should not matter. Paul is esteeming and pointing to the church of Galatia to Jesus being both fully God and fully man. Some may say, why didn't he pronounce the virginity of of Mary? See, the point of our faith and Christian righteousness comes through the person and office of Christ, not through the Virgin of Mary. This is why I believe Paul doesn't use through a Virgin Mary. Rather, he acknowledges him being born of a woman. Paul wants the readers to see it is the person and the office of Christ that holds our salvation and sees it come to full completion through his birth, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Though the virgin birth, please hear me, is extremely crucial. It is extremely critical. It's just an essential piece to the gospel. But we must not esteem Mary for our salvation. Rather, we must lift up the person and work of Christ. It was not Mary's mission. Rather, she was used as a vessel to bring forth the King who has come to complete His mission. Listen to Luke 1, 46-50. Mary pronounces this in her magnificent song. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and his whole, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary is quick to pronounce the mightiness of Christ and not lift herself up among above Him. So now Jesus, perfectly God and a perfectly a sinless child, comes under the law to make new laws, to, to not make new laws, but to fulfill the law and to abolish it. Paul is declaring to you and I this morning that Christ's purpose in coming was not to create a new system of laws, but rather to terminate and extinguish a vile system of the law that has been made of it. So as we continue this morning, God's law was already written, but it could not be perfectly kept by the Israelites. 
and could not be kept. But they used it as a tool to legalize their redemption. So Paul is confronting them in their legalism. He's saying God's people had become dependent on the law rather than dependent in faith that God would send the one to fulfill the law to be the perfect and last sacrifice for all men. Christ has come to fulfill it. He's come to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we may no longer be in bondage to it. Very simply, Matthew 1. 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For what will he do? He will save his people from their sins. See, Jesus said, I judge no one, John 8, 15. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world, John 12, 47. Any other religious system of practice hinges on you and I keeping the law to satisfy a made-up deity by the demonic forces of Satan. This is how the Israelites misinterpreted the law. They thought they had something to do to appease God. But see, you cannot appease perfection because you're imperfect. The Israelites were to see their inability to do the law perfectly and hope for God to remove their transgressions, repenting and offering the prescribed sacrifices to cover their sins temporarily until the coming of Christ. It was when they couldn't keep the law. It was resting in those sacrifices, but in waiting in expectation for the coming of Christ our King. This was not how everyone in the nation responded to the Torah. Certainly there were individuals like Samuel and David and Ruth who understood the law and lived in line with its purposes, but many lived in rejection to the law and broke the covenant with abandon. The Lord eventually removed them from the promised land. And we see He brought great destruction upon them for forsaking His law. His law was not there to protect the Israelites and the covenant God made with them to to be an overflow of love. It was there to also show them to wait in expectation to the one who would and could only keep the law perfectly. Instead of the law to be used as an invitation to invite people in, they use the law as fences to keep people out. We see today many people who take the law and abuse it in the very same way. You want to be a part of church family, but you got to do these certain things. You got to look this certain way. You got to act this certain way. Legalism has easily set in into the hearts of the Israelites. The Israelites elevated God's law to the point they created new laws. As author John Piper, preacher John Piper says, he puts it, they severed it from its foundation of faith. They failed to stress dependence on the Spirit and thus turned the commandments into a job description for how to earn the wages of salvation. So how does Jesus save us under the law? Martin Luther says this, He saves us by being condemned by the law, but also so He could overcome the law and be the judge and condemn the law. Before your salvation, you stood under the judgment of the law. You could do nothing to stop the waterfall of condemnation from pouring over you and knocking you to your eternal grave of hell. So in God's mercy, He sent Christ to us. This child to absorb the condemnation of the law. So by His blood, He could overcome 
the law by His righteousness, by His perfection, and condemn the works of sin, Satan, and death, which so easily entangles you and I. You see, we are more than worthy to stand in the judgment of the law. What we're not worthy of is to stand in the richness of His grace. The American church has been poisoned by the belief that you and I are worthy of grace. We think it's something that is owed to us. Listen to what one pastor recently said to his congregation. When you are poor, broken, and defeated, all that proves is you are poor, broken, and defeated. It doesn't bring any honor to God. If I brought up my two children on the platform today and their clothes were all raggedy, worn out, and holes in their shoes, and their hair not combed, you would look at me and say, what kind of father is, the, is he? It would be a poor reflection on me. Listen, when you look good, dress good, live in a nice place, excel in your career, and generous to others, it brings a, that brings a smile to God's face. It brings Him pleasure to prosper you. This is vileness. This is demonic. To think that we are worthy of God's grace, that God is most satisfied when we have the pleasures of this world, to think that when we prosper, He is pleased. If we were worthy of these things, Jesus' grace wouldn't be grace. It would be seen as a right that was owed to us. And if it was owed to us, it would be because of something we did. It would be because of something that we did. We must understand our position, that we must pause, that we must rest in God's grace for taking our position and absorbing our punishment. Ephesians 2.3 For by nature, what are we? We are children of wrath. Worthy of the judgment of the law. But Christ in His grace, 1 Peter 2.22 says this, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth, so that He could sinlessly become sin and absorb the full cup of His Father's anger toward our sin, in which we then go from children of wrath to becoming children of the King. Again, listen to Martin Luther from his commentary on Galatians. Christ might have overcome the law by an exercise of His omnipotent authority over the law. Instead, He humbled Himself under the law for and together with them that were under the law. He gave the law license to accuse and condemn Him. His present mastery over the law was obtained by virtue of His sonship and His substitutionary victory. So is a Christ follower now called to keep the law? Perfectly? We can't. But yes. But we keep the law because of who has kept it perfectly. We keep the law because we joyfully long to see God's commands, to love God and to love our neighbor. So now we keep the law because of what Jesus has done. For the good of others. And for the pronouncement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Christ came to abolish the law so we may be under grace and covered by righteousness. Secondly, He has and is bringing redemption. Christ came to redeem, to, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. 
Listen to Genesis 2, 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The pronouncing of God to Abraham is one of the many pronouncements of the coming Savior. It is weaved all throughout the Scriptures. Christ came to redeem those who were under the law. So who is the who? Is, is it the Israelites? Is it the Gentiles? Is it you? It's all of those. Christ came for all nations. Listen to John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be, no, there will be one flock and one shepherd. He was the perfect shepherd for His mission. He was the perfect shepherd for His mission. He came to wrestle for your soul. Do you know what a shepherd did? A shepherd would build literally a fence around his flock. He would then build a covering over them. But you know where the shepherd would be. He would lie down at the entrance of this shed he made in the field so that no sheep, if any sheep wanted to get out, they had to jump over him. If anything that wanted to get in to attack a sheep had to jump over him. See, Jesus came to conquer sin, Satan, and death. He came down and laid at sin's gate of tyranny to protect the sheep. The sheep were dumb. They would do stupid things like jump off cliffs. If the shepherd wasn't there to guide them, they would walk into terror and off cliffs. Just the same Jesus sits at the gate of Satan's attacks for your soul and provides constant redemption for us. In John 10, Jesus is telling the Israelites that He is also the gate for the Gentiles, for you and I. He fulfilled His promise to provide redemption and keeps providing redemption. And in His redemption, He has adopted you. He's adopted me. If you do not know Christ this morning, you do not know why a holy and perfect God would save you when sin, Satan, and death is breaking down your neck in your failures, your unwantedness, your mistakes, your lack of value, and not being worthy. In the Gospel, these things are true. You are sinful. You are wretched. You are a failure. But listen to this. Though you have sinned and failed against a holy God and are worthy to be punished eternally for this in hell, but what Christ has come to do is absorb those things that you have committed against God and then give you a new name. Where Satan does not have the power or desire to let go of those things. Ephesians 1.5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. John Piper says this, that Satan's greatest weapon over us is our sin. And when Christ came, He came to adopt you, give you a new name. Satan no longer has your sin or law to hold over you any longer. It has been rectified. Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were 
darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Many who have been adopted can be very destructive of the abandonment they have experienced. They've not been held. They've not been talked to. They've been left alone in cribs. These needs have these these needs that these children have have deep spiritual and emotional and psychological effects on a child when they have not been shown deep affection by their parents at the earliest months, days, and hours of their life. But in adoption, there are families out there searching for that child to adopt, wrestling fast after the child, while the child is doubting that love exists or that they are worthy of love. A mother and father is wrestling fast after them with just as much intensity and shouting, saying in word and deed, I deeply love you. I deeply want you. I will deeply care for you. We have and will lay down our life for you and point you to the one who has laid down his life for us and given us a new name. Parents that I know whom have adopted would give up the riches of this world for their child. But just as Jesus was tempted with the kingdoms of this world, he denied himself that earthly throne that Satan was dangling out to him with a carrot for the joy of honoring his father by worshiping him. Doing his will and completing his mission to adopt those who have been predestined according to his will. You see, you didn't choose your adoption. You didn't choose it. You have nothing to do with your adoption. That child does not choose their adoption. The Father chose to adopt you. As I stand here today, He is offering adoption to you right now. He has come to give you freedom to live from the condemnation of the law. As the parents see the bondage the child is drowning in, your Heavenly Father sees what you are drowning in. He sees the bondage that you are in. He knows you can't lift your head above the waters of guilt, of sin, and condemnation of the law. He sees you. He sees your weak attempts to satisfy Him with good deeds, being a good citizen, success, and you're hoping that when you stand before God, which you will, and many of will plead with God to let him or her into heaven by the hinging efforts of the things they have or haven't done. When all along he knows you need to hinge everything to what Christ has done. He sees this. And he sees you're still drowning by the sin and the law that so easily entangles you. You see, that child that is adopted no longer goes by his old name. He now goes by His new name. There's nothing He can do to erase His identity. It has been sealed by the courts. Christ has sealed you with His name. Point four. He has and is giving us the Holy Spirit. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. See, now that you're adopted by the Father... Through the Son, you now are sent by the Holy Spirit. You're sent the Holy Spirit into your heart. Not only have we been adopted and given a new name as sons and daughters, we are given His Spirit. This is no small thing. 
It is through the Spirit in us we can hear the voice of God. Did you hear that? You can hear the voice of God. How do we do that? Through His Word. His Word. I can remember the day I became a believer when I was 17. I was born entrenched in God's Word. I heard the preaching from the womb. I heard the Scriptures from the womb. My mother and father read me the Word. I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. But I didn't know what it said. But the day I came to Christ, before He saved me, this text became illuminated. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit. This is no small thing. It is through the Spirit in us we can hear the voice of God. It is how we are able to walk through the storms in our life and not be touched or harmed by them because the Spirit is keeping our souls, protecting us, and most importantly, secured. So if this life brings you an early death, you are secure. You're going to die. Sorry, it's news. Maybe some of you, maybe you thought you're invisible, but you're going to die. As my father-in-law said, it's 100% factual truth, right? You're going to die. Why wouldn't you long to die securely? And that is what Christ has come. The Holy Spirit has come to secure us to protect us. It is what allows missionaries to go to the ends of the earth to look like crazy people to preach the gospel and not fearing their head to be chopped off. Though the pain is momentary, though the affliction is real, but they take it with joy. It's why you read stories of missionaries who have been killed, who have been martyred, and you hear stories of how they are singing at the moment of their death, singing praises to God. Is the Spirit of Christ that divorces us from our old ways and ushers us into the new ways of grace that gives us true fulfillment and that everlasting joy. Some of us can remember when we were trying to pursue things to satisfy us in our life. And now that we know Christ, you see that those things did not fulfill us at all. But the joys the Holy Spirit brings is everlasting joy. In the Spirit of Christ, as children of light, now adopted and given a new name, those worldly things that would give us momentary happiness now gives off the horrid aroma of a skunk spray. You can be near a skunk, but if you irritate the skunk, it will spray you with its horrid aroma of death. Like, it is the most foul smell I've ever, like, just, it's gross. Like my kids hate it, like, oh, what's that smell? We're driving down the road the other day. Christian, you are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Know everything about the world, but do not lay down with it in a way that it causes your identity to be questioned or cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble. But whether we stumble or groan, it is through the intimacy with the Spirit of Christ we can cry this, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 26-27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches his hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of 
God. Our Father knows what we need. He does. But he, he longs for us to cry out for Him. He longs for us to cry, Abba, Father. It's a term that was simply to say, My Father. If you are not in Christ, you cannot say that. He does not hear you. It is falling upon deaf ears if it is for the sake of your own gain. But if you are crying, My Father, save me in Christ. He is hearing you. You may have had a terrible father. The cards were dealt to you with just an absolute wreck of a father. But God is saying through Christ, you become a son or daughter of God and you can intimately come to Him as your father. And He will hear you. He will not abandon you. He will not condemn you. He will not hurt you. Distinctly, no other religion can offer this. Nothing. Nothing from a God that was created by man can offer this type of intimacy with our Creator. In the King's mission, He's come to knock down the walls of hostility and broken relations we have with the Father. When the law scolds us, sin screams at us, death thunders at us, the devil roars at us. But in the midst of that condemnation, you know what the Spirit of Christ is saying for us? Abba, Father. And we find the Father listening. You see, Christ is interceding on your behalf right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's standing, sitting, pleading to His Father. He's securing you. If you come in this morning doubting things, if you come in this morning stressed, whatever it may be, whatever burden you are carrying, your, Christ, your, your Heavenly Father sees that, knows that, and has come to comfort you. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In conclusion, you see, in the king's mission, you are adopted. You're given a new name. All the rights of heaven are given to you. You are looked upon as a co-heir with Christ. You are no longer a slave. No longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to sin, to your weak attempts to earn your salvation, to the law, to your doubt, to your addiction, to your control, to try to control everything around you, to your work, to your anger, to your bitterness, to your well success, to your performance, to your mistakes, to your family name that embarrasses you, to your religion, to your struggle with your sexual sin, to your popularity, to your food, to your lack of self-worth, and the list goes on and on and on. You are not a slave anymore. You are now a co-heir with Christ. You have been adopted as son or daughter of God, and He has come to set you free. You're free. You can cry, Abba, Father, and know He hears you. Do you understand that? It is not during just one month out of the year when you talk about it. Like, He hears you. When was the last time you spoke to Him? But He hears you not by your works, but by the work of the Son. That is the good news. His hearing of you is not conditional as these Galatian believers thought. It wasn't by these extra things that they could do. It was by all the things that Christ has done. Your words do not fall on deaf ears. It doesn't fall on the deaf ears of the law that can't save you. 
it falls or falls on the ears of Satan that so quickly condemns you of your sin. It falls on the peacefulness of a shepherd who hears your voice. You're no longer a slave to the law. You're not. God has adopted us to be His child. His free children. So when you struggle in sin, sin, Satan can't no longer use the law to bind you to your conscience. Your conscience belongs to Christ. Let Christ be your life and not the law. Here's the beautiful thing. We are beneficiaries to be His children and heirs not by our accomplishments, but by Jesus' birth. You see, when a son's mother or father die, you will be an heir to their property. No matter how much you have, how much they had, you become an heir. To their name, to their property, to their accomplishments. This happened at birth. Couldn't change that. I can do nothing to revoke this from myself. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to accomplish this through my labor. In the same way we benefit from Christ's work through faith and Christ's efficient work of coming, living perfectly, dying with the guilt of the law on His hands, in Christ's death, we die. And in His resurrection, we are risen. And in His return, we will gain God in His presence for eternity. Though we long for His return, We are already a co-heir of His riches. What are these riches? It's His righteousness. It's His resurrection. And lastly, it's His everlasting life. Do you know these riches? Do you know them? Have you received these riches? See, the Father has come for you. He's come for me. He He has bought you with the price of His Son, laying down His life for you. Come today and receive this free gift of salvation. Let this be the first Christmas you receive the only gift you so desperately need. The forgiveness of sin. Let's pray.